seated, I guess. Those of you. Food is good. Food is nice. I like food. Do you like food? We all like a, a big Christmas or a Thanksgiving meal. Um, but sometimes I found in my mm, many long years that uh, the best and most memorable meals for me personally have just been incredibly simple meals um, that revolved around bread because I like bread and bread is good. My daughter, one of my daughters, that's, I think she would live on bread if we would allow her. <laughs> bread is also a very versatile um, item and it's available just about anywhere in the world. Every culture has got its own version of it, um, different shapes and varieties. We were on a 10-day mission trip once upon a time to France with a group from our church and we stopped at a big gas station or rest stop, a truck stop I guess, the French version, um, traveling from a place in the west, Chateau de Rue, to Bordeaux in the south. And this truck stop was quite large, one of the largest places we stopped. Um, it was massive parking lot and a big building and all this. And um, everything else in France is quite small, <laughs> all the buildings, because they're all hundreds of years old. But um, this place was out in the middle of nowhere and it was huge. And inside you could buy these little prepackaged lunches with sandwiches and cheese and fruit and yogurt and those sorts of things. And uh, if you go to a truck stop here, you're going to have find like burgers and maybe a roast beef or, I don't know, fish and chips or whatever. But in France, they had just a straight up bakery in this. And not just like loaves of bread, everything that you could imagine that they make there. Um, and in, in France, the bread is the star of the sandwich. Here we sometimes maybe are guilty of using the bread as a vehicle to get whatever else into our mouth. But in France, the, the bread is the, the star. And while we were there on this truck stop, they brought out a batch of freshly baked baguettes. And if you've had baguettes here, they're okay. But if you had them there, it's a completely different thing. It's a whole other thing. And my goodness, they were soft and crispy at the same time. That doesn't make sense. And they were still warm. And I, everyone else was buying these little box lunches. But me, I got myself a baguette. A whole one to myself. Because <laughs> why not? And I bought one of those and I got a little cheese. And I think I stole this plastic knife from someone that didn't need it. And... And as we, were, we drove in, I would just cut a piece of cheese off, put it on the top of the baguette, and bite it off. Over and over and over until I couldn't eat anymore. And there was crumbs everywhere. But it was magnificent. And it stuck in my head as one of the greatest meals I've ever had. I don't even know why. It was just so good. And there was nothing to it. It was just cheese and bread. But it was one of my favorite meals ever. I'm very simple, I know. And in, in Benin, again, um, we were teaching at a preacher's conference, myself and Brother Benson, and for our lunch, we just opened the back of his, his vehicle, and we made some ham and cheese sandwiches in the back of the truck, and we ate them, and that's one of my favorite meals we had there. I don't know why. 
It's just something about just a simple meal with, with bread and, and um, it's just, I don't know. There's something different about it. It's something that maybe it's where you eat it. I don't know. It just sticks in my mind. And we just came through junior camp. And one of the stories that is often preached from just about every year that we've had junior camp is the story of Jesus feeding the multitudes. Because we talk, they always talk about the, the boy giving his lunch and his bread and his fish. And, and uh, we're going to talk about that story today. But today we're going to look at the disciples' role in the whole thing. In Luke chapter 9, verse 15, Jesus says, Give ye them to eat. And they said, We have no more but five loaves and two fishes, except we should go and buy meat for all this people. And this story, it's a, it's a well-known story. And often the problem with preaching from well-known stories is um, we will tune them out because we know it. I know I just preached from David and Goliath for three services in a row. I don't know if anyone listened or not, but <laughs> well, sometimes when we know the story, we, we think we know where it's going, so please don't try to do that today. But Jesus, at this point in Luke's gospel, he's been traveling around and healing and teaching and doing some incredible things. He's calmed a storm. He's raised two people from the dead already. He's cast out devils. He's taught some revolutionary things. He's sent his 12 disciples out to preach the good news. And um, there's a guy, Herod, a different Herod from when Jesus was born, but he gets upset and uh, he's put John the Baptist to death and he he'd kind of thought he'd stopped anything from happening, but now he's getting stories about this Jesus doing things. And Jesus' fame is spreading from the synagogue to the palaces to the Roman centurions from town to town to town. And now we come to the story the feeding of 5,000, and it's recorded in all four Gospels, and each adds a little something or a different view. John mentions Philip and Andrew and the lad with the, the loaves and fish, and Mark says they sat people in groups of 50 and 100, and Matthew says that Jesus withdrew out of the wilderness because he was saddened at the loss of John the Baptist, and so they all have a little bit different they add. We're going to use Luke's um, today, but it says in Luke chapter 9, verse 10, the apostles when they were returned, they've come back from preaching and told him all that they had done. And they took them, or he took them and went aside privately into a desert place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. And so the 12 disciples, they've come back. They were sent out to preach and to heal and all this stuff. And they come back and they're telling Jesus about all the things that they've done and all the things that they've seen. And I've been part of a few different outreaches where we go door to door and knock and invite people to, to church or pray with people. It's not my favorite thing to do. Surprise, surprise. Because I'm not good at just walking up to people and talking. I, I don't know. It doesn't work for me. Nothing smart comes out. Some of you are good at it. Some of us aren't. Um, it has some effectiveness. I know my, my grandmother, she's here because somebody knocked on her door. I know other people that are, and I know lots of people that doors were knocked on that never came. So Take that as you will. I know God can lead you to do whatever, but uh, anyways. Uh, but I've been involved in some of those, and um, and I've also been involved in different things, like like prayer walks. When we're talking about France, when we were there, we prayer walked, and that was effective when people started coming out of the blue. And um, There's all different kinds of ways that people will do outreach, but I've been involved in some of these, and there's always a moment when everyone gets back. 
and they're all excited and they're talking about all the things that they saw. For me, it was always somebody slammed the door in my face. And that was funny. Other people were praying people through to the Holy Ghost and stuff. And I'm just getting doors slammed in my face. But whatever. I got the funny stories, I guess. So that we would all come back and we're telling all the things that we saw and all the things that we did. And that's kind of what I imagine what's happening here. You know, the disciples, they come back and they're all excited. You know, oh, we prayed for this guy. This happened. Oh, this guy was a little bit weird, a little bit off. And then he said this thing. It's kind of crazy. But, you know, just, they're going on about all these things. And they come back from their outreach and they're all telling Jesus about all the things that they saw or did on the way. Maybe miracles that then happened because they've been given authority to do all kinds of things. A couple of verses earlier, it says um, he gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases and sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. So no doubt they've done some of these things and they're excited about what God is doing through them. And so they're pumped up and, and uh, up till now, Jesus had been the one doing everything. Jesus had been the one healing. Jesus had been the one casting out devils. And now he's sending them out and teaching them to work under him, of course, with his authority. And then he takes them away privately into a desert-type place just to get away from everyone so he can have some time with them and talk and teach them a bit, probably. And so they go to the outskirts of a place called Bethsaida. Because as exciting as these times are, you know, getting together and having these testimonies, and as much as we love all that, um, doing outreach and seeing healings and casting out devils. That's all exciting stuff. Um, but we still need to have some time alone with Jesus. And so that's what's happening here. And it's during these times that he taught them and he spoke to them. And he invested in them. And then he would send them out. And we see miracles. We see all the incredible things. But they wouldn't have happened without these times alone with Jesus. So take that as you will. You know. You can go out and knock on doors and you can do all these things, but if you're not praying, you're not spending time with him, it's not going to be very effective. And so we can't skip the alone time or the prayer time and expect the miracles. Expect to just show up and everyone be healed and filled with the Holy Ghost. We need to spend time with him as well. But that time doesn't last long in the story because in verse 11, um, when the people knew it, and the people, when they knew it, they followed him and he received them and spake unto them of the kingdom of God and healed them that had need of healing. And so as soon as the people of Bethsaida heard or knew that Jesus was near, they followed him out to the desert place. And I don't know if someone saw them go out there or how this happened or, or how they knew they were there, but somehow word got out to town that Jesus was near. I know nobody put it on Facebook and I know um, nobody was tracking a cell phone or whatever. I don't know how they... Maybe they just saw the disciples go and passed it around and, you know, how loose lips are. They sink ships, but they also pass information quite effectively or ineffectively, depending on how you look at it. But they found out that Jesus was out there, and so they all go out. And the response to Jesus being near was, let's go to him. Let's go get in his presence. Let's hear what he has to say. Let's be healed. And sometimes got all kinds of points here, but sometimes we'll demand that Jesus come to us. But it's our job to draw near to him, too. Just a little tip there. These people went out to see him. They didn't wait for Jesus to come to their house or come to their town or whatever. They, they drew near to him. Sometimes that's what we got to do. And all these 
people, they come out and basically Jesus is having this little session with his disciples and 5,000 plus people come and crash it. And me, I'd probably be annoyed. I don't know about you. You're having a little get together with some friends. And the entire town of Middleton times three shows up. I don't got food for you. This is what happens. And so all these people come out and they crash Jesus' little session with his disciples because, and these people have needs and these people, they need healing and they're hungry literally and they're hungry spiritually for the word of God. And so they all head, head out to the desert. And what does Jesus do? What's his response? He receives them. And even though they weren't necessarily invited, and even though he didn't go out in the desert to preach or to teach 5,000 people, he received them anyway. Just like the woman that shows up to the Simon the Pharisee's house, he welcomes her and he welcomes these people. Jesus doesn't turn away people who come to him who are hungry. And he teaches them and he tells them about the kingdom of God. And then he heals whoever needs to be healed, which is pretty awesome stuff so far. We need Jesus. He's near. Come to him. He won't turn you away. We're not even going to the good part yet. And these stories are so much in them and so many lessons we can go through and talk about forever. But we got to move on. It says, verse 12, in the day began to wear away, and then came the twelve and said unto him, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the towns and country round about and lodge and get victuals, for we are here in a desert place. And it starts to get late, and time passes, and the day is ending, as days often do, and his wise disciples say to Jesus, Hey, send these people away let them go. you got to dismiss them soon. Stop talking. Get them home before it's dark and the robbers are out. Let them go to the nearest town and the villages so they can find a place to stay and get something to eat. We are in a desert, Jesus. Don't you know where we are? I know you're having fun. I know you're ministering. I know you're caught up in all this stuff, but you got to send these people home because there's nothing for them to eat and there's nowhere for them to stay. And honestly, the disciples, they weren't wrong. It was getting dark and they didn't have enough to feed everyone. They didn't have a place for everyone to stay and they were worried about what would happen to the people. Because at this place and this time in history, it's not safe to travel at night. And they were worried about them getting home safely and they were worried about them getting something to eat because you're in a desert. Food famously does not grow in a desert. There wasn't apple trees nearby. There was nothing for them to eat. There wasn't a, a pond where they can go fishing. There was nothing for them to eat. And also, how would it look to everyone and all the naysayers who were against Jesus if, say, Jesus had everyone out in the desert and let them go home hungry in the dark and something bad happened? I was robbed. Why were you out so late? I was listening to Jesus. It's his fault. He wouldn't stop talking. Like, how bad would that look? Right? Not good. So they're worried about their physical needs, but Jesus was ministering to their souls or their spiritual needs. They're worried about the practical, and that's fine. There's always the practical side that we need to deal with. And John, um, John's version, it says, uh, And Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him and saith unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred pennyworth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. And so Philip, one of his disciples, he's already done the math in his head. He's ahead of the game. He's a practical one of the crew. And the practical will always be among us. They keep us balanced. We need them. 
Roads we crash and burn. The practical ones are necessary. Some people float on dreams and ideas, and others deal in facts and logic. And we need both of those. And it's okay, we're all different. Jesus called both Philip and Peter. They were both disciples, and they're both called and anointed and used. But this is where most of the disciples' heads are at. They're in the practical right now. Jesus has sent them out, and they just started doing things on their own. If you will, up till now, it's been a lot of Jesus did this, Jesus did that, and the disciples were just kind of there. And now things are starting to shift, and he's sent them out alone without him to preach and heal and pray, and he's starting to use them. And now we have this crowd of over 5,000 people that have gathered, and the disciples, they've got this newfound um, independence, if you will. You know, they're doing things on their own. They, they're trying to take initiative. And they say, Jesus, why don't we just... No, we'll take care of this. We'll take care. We'll send them home. We'll send them out so they can find some place before it's dark. And they're trying to take care of it. They're trying to deal with things on their own. They're starting to grow and bloom and blossom into their own ministry. And we can say things like, oh, where's their faith or whatever. But you know, the kind of things we like to say about Bible characters, you know, we say them as if they weren't real people. And we're so much smarter than them. But I think... As far as they were concerned, they were trying to do the right thing. Their heart was in the right place. They're concerned for the people, their health, and their safety. They're not suggesting this because they want to get rid of them so they can have Jesus to themselves again. They're suggesting it with the right motives. But Jesus is teaching them something. And as I read through the story, again, for the umpteenth dozen times, I notice something different. And I'm going to share that with you. There's a shift happening here with the disciples and Jesus. After all, we know that Jesus... We know the story. He's going to be crucified soon. He's going to um, die and be buried and rise from the dead and then ascend to heaven. And Jesus knows this. The disciples don't really get it. They don't really know what's going to happen. And his plan isn't for them to just sit back and watch him for three years and then hope that they can take over when he's gone. That's not his plan. I don't know if you ever started a new job once upon a time and you had somebody training you. And that new job, that trainer, is probably the most important person there. They show you how to do the job, how things work, what to do, who to avoid, who not to avoid, who to go to for help, who to, you know, all the things, all the inner mechanisms, workings of the, the job. They show you how to do it, how to be the most effective. But the best trainers are the ones who show you and then let you do it. We've all probably had a trainer, I'll just click here, do this, do this, do this, do this. Okay, bye. And they're like, what? <laughs> and the best ones show you and then step back and let you do it and figure it out and coach you along the way, right? Hopefully. I don't know. Maybe maybe you've never had that happen. But I've had people say, okay, just do this, and they walk away, and I'm like, uh, and then you get yelled at because you did it wrong. I've had other people show me how to do things and then let me do it, and it works a lot better that way, I've found. And studies show that when you get your hands dirty, when you do it yourself, with someone coaching you and helping you, you're more likely to remember and know how to do it when you find yourself on your own. So up till now, it's been mostly the disciples watching while Jesus does the work. He's been healing, he's been delivering, he's been working and moving and doing all these things, while the disciples have just been around like his bodyguards or his entourage or something like that until chapter 9. And in chapter 9, this is when he sends him out for the first time. And for the first time, the disciples are doing something 
on their own with you know Jesus' help and authority. For the first time, they're the ones doing it. They go and they preach and they heal through it, you know, Jesus. And they see the miracles and they lay hands on the people and they're doing the work. All right, so there's a shift taking place. So if we bear that in mind, we get to verse 13 that we already read. But he said unto them, give ye them to eat. You give them something to eat. They said, we got, we got to send them home. There's no food to eat. And Jesus said, you do it. You give them something to eat. In the English standard, it says, uh, yeah, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all these people. And so the disciples come to Jesus with a problem. And they come to him with this scenario. They say, these people need to go home. These people are going to starve. These people need something to eat that we don't have enough money. We don't have enough food. Uh, let them go so they can get somewhere to eat or something to eat. We're in the desert, Jesus. And what does Jesus say to them? He says, you give them something to eat. You give them. You feed them. You do it. In all my life, as many times have I heard this story preached, I never heard that mentioned. Jesus tells his disciples, okay, you've given me a problem. You've presented me with a need. Good. Now you do something about it. Do you see what's happening here? This is just after he sent them out to work in his name. Um, at the beginning of the chapter, he called the twelve together and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Right? Things are changing up till now. They've just been watching Jesus do it. They've been watching Jesus work, but that was not his plan. His plan was to work through them to use them, and his plan hasn't changed. You do it. You feed them. You provide. You you do the work. And it's still like this, and a lot of times we just hope Jesus will show up and work and do his thing, and we pray for revival, and we hope things will happen, and the church is just going to miraculously grow, and 40,000 people are just going to walk through the door one Sunday, and boom, there we go. We just expect things to happen. The people will just come out off the streets. There's not even a sidewalk on this side of the street. So they're risking their life because people don't know how to drive here. They come in too fast. So no one's just going to walk in off the street unless they know what's going on. All right, sorry about that. But we expect people to just show up. We expect these things to just happen. And they can sometimes, and sometimes it does. And it may happen like that, but that's not really how it's supposed to work. That's the exception to the rule. The Great Commission is go ye into all the world. Not hope the world comes to you, not hide in your closet until I come back and hope everything works out fine. He's teaching his disciples. He says, you go out and preach. You spread the word. You lay hands on the people. You take your hands, you put them on the people, and you watch them be healed. You say it. You preach it. You feed them. You do it. And if we want Jesus to work, if we want to see the miraculous things happen in our lives, in our church, in our families, our communities, we want to see healings, we want to see growth and all of the stuff that we go on and on about that we want to see happen, it starts with you. It starts with us. It starts with me. We need to be the ones that preach the gospel. That's how the gospel is preached. We need to be the ones to share. We need to be the ones who pray. We need to be the ones who lay the hands on people and see them delivered and see them healed and see them filled with the Holy Ghost. We need to be the ones 
who feed them. We need to be the ones who do it, who step out, who take that step in faith that starts with us. You feed them. And watch what happens. It says, they said, we have no more but five loaves and two fishes, except we should go and buy meat for all this people. All we have is five loaves and two fish, they say. We know from the other versions that they got this from the little boy, but the disciples were the ones who went and got the boy. Andrew brought him to Jesus. They did that bit of work. Verse 14, it says, And there were about 5,000 men, and he said to his disciples, Make them sit down by fifties in a company. And they did so and made them all sit down. And he took the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them, and he broke and gave to the disciples to set before the multitudes. He makes the disciples sit the people down in groups of 50. So there's at least 100 groups of 50 here. And so they go. There's work. We talk about Jesus multiplying and feeding the 5,000. The disciples are the ones that served the 5,000. The disciples are the ones that sat 5,000 people down in groups of 50. They go and they split them up. They corral them into groups and they get them all to sit down. And that is not easy. We had 47 kids this week. And it was hard enough to corral them into a group to eat. I, sometimes it takes us half an hour to get six of us out of the house. We start leaving for church at 9.30 and sometimes we don't get here till after 10. And we live there. No one moves. <laughs> and 12 guys, they take 5,000. I can't even imagine how hard on the head that would be. Well, I want to be over here. Well, I don't want to, who are you to tell me where to sit? Who are you to tell me what to do? We, we tried to get people to stay six feet apart a couple years ago. And they wouldn't listen. We had a whole aisle in the grocery store. Just back off. <laughs> and they wouldn't listen. Imagine sitting 5,000 people, breaking them up into groups. Well, I don't want to. You're not the boss of me. Who do you think you are? This is a conspiracy. They're trying to control us. They're trying to divide us. Ah, what's going on here? <laughs> Just joking. Calm down. They put this effort in. They put the work in. And then Jesus, he blesses the food. And he gives it to the disciples. And again, they give it to the people. There's 12 of them. They're going to feed 5,000. I've never fed 5,000 people in my life. In one day. Have you? And I've worked in restaurants. We've never had 5,000 people come through. Busiest, we maybe have, oh, over 100 an hour. But not 5,000. That's crazy. I don't know how they did it. That would have been tiring. 5,000 people. And if you've ever served anyone, there's always complainers. I don't like fish. <laughs> I'm gluten-free. <laughs> I can't have bread. <laughs> Do you have anything else? Do you have any butter for these rolls? <laughs> oh, well. Jesus blesses the food and he gives it to the disciples and again, they give it to the people. They're doing the work here. They're, you know, we talk about Jesus, obviously he, he multiplies it, but they're the ones that are 
on their feet for hours feeding everyone. They're the ones that are distributing it. And then they have to, have, to have to gather it up afterwards. We were cleaned up after 5,000 people. God help us all. <laughs> it takes long enough to clean it up after Felix. 5,000. Anyways, verse 17 says, And they did eat, and were all filled. There was taken up fragments that remained to them, twelve baskets. And everyone ate. And not even just ate, they were filled. And there were twelve baskets left over. That doesn't even add up. It started with five loaves, two fish, now there's twelve baskets. Jesus did the miracle, yes, but the disciples, they did the work. He does the miracle, but we need to do the work. And we've seen all through the stories in, in the gospel, and even in our lives, the missionaries and um, preachers that come through and stuff. We've heard different stories. Jesus responds. Jesus works. But there's always some sort of step of faith. Something that is done by the person. Can you imagine, like, you're the disciple. All right, Jesus starts breaking it up. You're like, what? <laughs> there's more bread. Like that. Okay, we're going to go feed him, but there's, there's no food here. There's not enough, there's enough for a, a boy. Like, that's just, that takes a, a bit of a faith just to do all the things that he said so far. I see through these stories how he responds and he works, but there's some sort of step of faith that is done by the person. The demon-possessed guy in, in a synagogue, he cries out to Jesus. The friends tear the, the roof off the, the leather friend down on the bed. The man with the withered hand, he has to be honest. And Jesus says, Stand, stick out your hand. And he has to decide which hand he's going to extend. The withered one or the, the normal one? He has to make that. There's a decision he needs to make. The centurion sends people and says, don't even come, just say the word. The widow with the dead son, Jesus says, stop weeping. There's something that she has to do. The sinner woman shows up and she presses through all the people. Uh, weeps and washes his feet and dries, uh, washes a few of her tears and dries them with his, her hair and anoints him and all kinds of stuff. And we, um, Jesus, you know, calms the storm. The disciples had to wake him up. Um, the demoniac and the Gadarenes comes running to him and cries out to him. Jairus meets him and leads him to his house. The woman with the issue of blood touches the hem of his garment. And the story of the disciples they put in the work, there's always something we need to do. Right? All through it, you see somebody stepping out in faith, someone acting in faith, and Jesus responding to them. Jesus, there's a need, they say. The people are hungry. They got to go. We can't feed them. The people are hungry. There's a need here. And Jesus says, you feed them. You do it. And this is the point. This is the purpose of this message that's taken me forever to get to today. And Jesus is still the same. He still works the same. He still wants to work through his disciples, through his church. We're called the body of Christ for a reason. We're the hands, we're the feet, we're the, the ones that are working on his behalf. But too often we just kind of hang back and just kind of hope things will work out for the best. And just hope people will come in and hope someone else will do something. Hope someone else will worship or hope someone else will pray and fast and get a hold of God. And hope that something else, someone else will do it. We have more wishful thinking than we have faith. And that is 
a problem. The disciples brought a need to Jesus, and Jesus said, you feed them. You do it. Obviously, they couldn't do it. That's what they said. We don't have enough food. We can't feed them. But that wasn't the point. Jesus does the miracle. We do the work. He wanted them to learn that they needed to take that step and they needed to start it. They needed to break them up into groups. They needed to organize and they needed to do this in order for him to perform the miracle. We come to Jesus with a need and maybe his response is the same as it was to his disciples all those years ago. You feed them. You pray for them. You lay hands on them. You reach them. You teach that Bible study. You witness to them. You preach the gospel to them. You pray for them. You feed them. That's how this is going to work. It's a partnership between us and him. Obviously, you can't save the family member, and obviously, you can't give them the Holy Ghost, and obviously, you can't heal them. The disciples couldn't feed all those people on their own, but they said, well, we've got some loaves and some fish. we got a little bit here. And they did what they could, and they split them up, and they sat them down, and Jesus did the rest. But it happened because they did their part. You can't save someone. You can't heal someone. You can't do it at least by yourselves, but you can lay your hands on them, and you can pray in his name. You can teach a Bible study. You can reach for them. You can witness to them. You can preach to them. You can pray for them, and that's what Jesus is looking for. Jesus, there's a need. My neighbor needs to know about you. Well, you go tell them. Jesus, there's a need in my family. Well, why don't you pray for it? Jesus, there's a, there's a situation here. Why don't you do something about it? What are you going to do about it? And when we take that step, that's when he backs us up. Jesus, there's a country that doesn't know about you. Well, why don't you go? Jesus, there's a, a group of people that don't know anything about you. Well, why don't you, why don't you go? Why don't you do it? Why don't you feed them? When we take that step, that's when he backs it up, and that's when he comes in with the miracle, when we do the work. Faith isn't just hoping for something to happen. Faith is taking that step. We walk by faith. We don't stand still by faith and hope that things are going to happen. It's just, There's steps that are taken. We walk by faith. You feed them. I'll provide the miracle, but you feed them. When you teach that neighbor a Bible study, that's when the lights come on and the revelation happens. When you lay hands on that person that's sick, that's when he heals them, when you pray with that addict, that's when he delivers them. You can call me and I'll come and I'll pray and I'll do whatever I can, but you can do it too. You're going to wait for some special person to show up. You're a disciple. You're, you're filled with the Holy Ghost. You have the same anointing that the rest, the preachers or missionaries, whoever you, whoever has. You have the same Holy Ghost in you. You pray for them. You reach them. You lay hands on them. You feed them. You can do it. Jesus will provide the miracle, but you need to do it. We had, um, I think it was Thursday night, we had, they had the kids come and pray for their staff members. I think it was Thursday. Um, one of the guys, he had a pain in his foot. We all had pains in our feet because we walked so much. But this was especially bad. And he, he felt silly just to, to ask the kids to pray for him because we'd all been walking. They'd been walking the same. But um, he told the kid that was praying for him, and he prayed for him. And the pain was gone. That was just a kid, a 10-year-old kid, stepping out in faith, doing and praying. And that's how Jesus works. 
He can work through a child if they're willing to step out. He can work through 80-year-olds, 79 and 364-day-year-olds. He can work through anyone as long as we're willing to, to take that step. You feed them. He'll provide the miracle, but we need to be the ones that are willing to, to feed, to, to do the work. Praying is important. We need to do that. But it's also important to take that step and to reach out and pray for that person in, in person. You know, sometimes people will come to us with needs, maybe at work, or, or maybe we'll see them on the street and we'll say, oh, I'll pray for you, and we go home. And then maybe we'll pray for them if we remember. Maybe we won't. You can pray for them there if they're okay. And you can do that. That's, that takes faith. That's a step. And God will work through it. Growth in the church comes when we do the work and we let him work through us and do the miracle. He's waiting for us to say, well, I've got five loaves and two fish. We're saying there's, a, there's an entire province, there's a, a valley that needs to be saved. We can pray and pray and pray, but he's waiting for someone to say, well, I got five loaves and two fish. I got something here. I don't have much, but I've got something. I can pray. I can, I can reach. I can knock on a door. I got the personality that I can small talk with people, and it's easy. I'll give that to him. You know, I've got these connections. Some of us got connections that no one else has. we give these things to him he can work through us does this make sense I'm not trying to pound on anyone or whatever but it's something we need to do we need to we need to be the ones that do it when we give him what we have he will do the rest five loaves and two fish feeding five thousand plus that's wild but that is what happens when someone is willing to give Jesus what they have and let him work through it Sometimes we think we gotta have it all figured out. We gotta have it all planned out. Yeah, planning's good, figuring's good, but he never works the way that we expect him to. So just take that step and let him work. Let him do it. I doubt the disciples though. All right, we're gonna feed five thousand with this little lunch. Here we go. But he did, and I highly doubt they thought there was gonna be leftovers. 12 baskets full, but here we are. We give him what we have, he will do the rest. But we're going to have to do something or it's not going to just happen. Most of us are here because somebody invited us. Some of us drove by and saw a sign and came, but for the most part, we're here because someone invited us or I'm here because my mother dragged me to church. <laughs> Sometimes just kicking and screaming. I'm here because somebody brought me. I'm here because somebody showed me. Most of us, that's how we got into this. Because somebody did something. Alright, I'm almost done. So let's let this be a challenge. What can I do. I want to see Jesus work. 
I want to see the miraculous. I want to see the church grow. What do I need to do? How can I feed them? What do I have? What can I give to Jesus? And it may not seem like a lot. Sometimes we say, I don't have as much as this person, so I'm not going to give it. But he's not looking for a lot. He can provide the lot. He didn't have 5,000 loaves and fish or whatever. He just took the little bit and he made it more. He's looking for that step of faith, that partnership with him. He wants to work through us, but he can only work through us if we work. Matthew 9:38. Jesus said, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth what? Laborers. People that are willing to work into the harvest. That's how it happens. First Corinthians 3 and 9, for we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry, you are God's building. Together we work. That's what we're supposed to do. You feed them. So we're gonna I preached way too long tonight. Tonight. That's tonight now. Today. We're gonna we're gonna pray here in a minute. And I wonder if we could just pray those questions that we said at the end. What can I do? Jesus, how how can I feed them? How what can I do? Because we've got people we're praying for, we've got communities we're praying for. What can I do to see this happen? What can I do? I'm going to surrender to him today and let him speak to us. Let him call us to do whatever it is that he wants us to do because I know he's not done with us. He wants to work through us. But we got to know what it is we need to do. So let's she's going to sing I hope. I'm going to stop talking. Everyone rejoice. But let's let's pray together this morning. Let's pray, God, what can I do? Use me. I want you to use me. I wanna I wanna be a, a vessel that you can use. God, how can I how can I do what it is you're asking me to do? Let's pray together.